Whatever the day holds, leadership always presents a challenge. I'm Kate, owner of 123, and I'm dedicated to supporting leaders who want to be their best selves because your employees deserve you at your very best. Leading is hard work, but the chairs here at 123 are comfy. So please have a seat and join our conversation. For this first episode in the Comfy Chairs, I invited my colleague and friend, Angela, to join me for what we thought was going to be a conversation about coaching. Instead, we ended up talking about imposter syndrome, delegation, compassion, and coaching. It was a real honor to have Angela on the podcast. She is an experienced nurse leader, and I've witnessed her provide coaching to others and receive coaching herself with grace. We started our conversation talking about some recent insights that she's gained from a leadership development program that's being offered where she works. We did we did a leadership development, leadership co-op learning this week. Oh. And I know, and we were talking about responsibility as one of the 15 commitments, conscious leadership, 15 commitments. That's right. Yeah. A hundred percent responsibility, not more, not less. And I really got stuck in my head for that period of time of like, I always feel like I'm disappointing the people around me, specifically at work. Like I always feel like I'm running after the next thing and I'm never delivering on time and just that over critical self. Yeah. So just probably stupid headspace right now. I wouldn't call it stupid. It is never not insane and stressful in your industry. Yeah. Right. And it's, it only gets more so Yeah. with every passing year. I mean, if you think back what it was like 20, 25 years ago, there's no way we could have predicted the insanity now. This, yeah. Yeah. And what has worked before so many times now just doesn't work at all. Yeah. You know, it's it's interesting. I was just reading an article and remembering a conversation with Kim Holt oh, yeah. years ago about imposter syndrome. And, you know, Kim always came across as like so self-assured, so definitive, like I've got the answer. Yeah. And she made a comment once in a Learning Institute leadership meeting that she thinks it is entirely common for intelligent people to frequently have that sense of imposter syndrome where we feel like we're not good enough mm -hmm. we're not doing enough mm -hmm. that somebody's going to figure out that we don't belong yes and and that goes way back for me like I can mm -hmm. remember um being promoted from manager to director yeah and for weeks and I even said this out loud to people like someday somebody's going to realize I'm not as good as they thought I was and all this is going to be different. Yeah. 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 I, uh, the last person that I hired into the Learning Institute, um, I totally dropped the ball on something like her second week there. And she was, this is Brittany, she was so gracious. She's like, oh, we're just human. I'm like, yeah, but I didn't want you to find that out about me this <laughs> I'd like is your new boss to show up. Please don't take my Wonder Woman superhero cape. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So tell me a little bit more, if you would, about um, the 100% responsibility and what that's looked like. So through our discussion, they were sharing that in, the, in this example. So we're talking about conscious leadership. We're talking about the 15 commitments. In this example, 
it's not necessarily the things that we're doing that we're taking responsibility for, mm. but it's more of a mindset that I'm taking a hundred percent responsibility for my thoughts, my behavior, my actions, mm-hmm. um, and that I'm not taking more responsibility than that 100%. Okay. So what this brought to mind for me, um, is, you know, some of the coaching that I had previously gotten early on in my leadership career was that the team that you have responsibility for is a direct reflection of your leadership and the way that they're behaving, their actions, their commitment to excellence and success is a direct reflection on, on Mm -hmm. your ability to lead that team. Yeah. Yeah. You're apparently, once you become a leader, you are responsible for every aspect of your team's personhood. Yes. And so somewhere, somewhere along the line, I think I have a tendency looking back to overcorrect at times. (laughs) And so I think in in an effort to grow and develop and correct that, I overcorrected and somewhere along the line took more than a hundred response, a hundred percent responsibility for my team's actions. Yeah. And, um, really had an opportunity to separate out like, um, accountability from responsibility. Yeah. (laughs) And was mixing the two. Okay. What has that meant for you? Like what's been the impact of being like, I'm 500% responsible for everything my team does. Um, it's led to a lack of delegation. Okay. And where does accountability come into that? Um, really, really being able to more clearly delegate. So, so as I grew into delegation and understanding that I couldn't take it all on myself mm-hmm. and, you know, sometimes we have the tendency to, well, it's just quicker for me to do it. Not only am I martyring and piling it on top of myself Mm -hmm. but then I'm also robbing my team of the ability to grow and learn and develop in that additional responsibility yeah and so um getting you know receiving the feedback that I was responsible for the team is different than my team shouldn't do any of the work Mm -hmm. Um, and then being more intentional about what I was delegating and being clear about what the follow-up responsibility was um, you know, we actually, we were talking about coaching today, looking at, um, the measurable outcomes of what, what we expect to see when we coach yeah. is the same thing with what we expect to see when we delegate. And so instead of having someone come back and maybe from a performance management perspective, not meet expectations of what was being delegated and then me just taking it back and fixing it. Uh-huh. Um, but continuing to coach through that moment so that I enabled them and created the environment where they could fix it. A couple of thoughts. Um, one, I love the term growing into delegation because it is a process, mm-hmm. right? Like There may be three people that were born understanding how to do it yeah. in the whole history of humankind. But for most of us, it's a, it's a big hurdle. Mm-hmm. And we do have to get big enough to be able to figure out how to do it. So thank you for that, that new language. I love it. But then also, you know, you're not the only new manager that's ever had that confusion, right? And I wonder if, if there's a way for us to pinpoint 
at what stage in somebody's leadership infancy mm-hmm. can we help them distinguish between responsibility and doing the work? Because yeah. that's where the the confusion seems to happen so often. Yeah. You know, one of the stories that we tell ourselves that actually makes me hesitate to delegate is related to servant leadership. Oh. And I'm I'm not going to ask you to do anything that I'm not willing to do myself. Yeah. And yeah. so if I'm operating from this mindset of, well, I want to be cautious that I'm not asking you to do anything that I won't do myself, then that is another like leadership principle that tends to help me pilot on myself. <laughs> well, I think, you know, there are, there's so many, you know, leadership theories, right? And servant leadership, you know, definitely, definitely think there's a lot of good in there. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And some of that type of thought, I think, gets into like the great man mm-hmm. theory that some people are born to lead and that they, you know, pop out of the womb and they're capable of it. And there's a little bit of this, like, I, I think that having this idea that I have to be willing to do or I'm not able to do it means, well, I can do all of it. Yeah. And that's, you know, we know that the great man theory isn't accurate. Right. And we know that servant leadership doesn't expect the leader to hold up the entire operation. It does not. But I think you're right. I think that story of I can't ask you to do something I wouldn't do ends up being, well, I'm not going to ask you at all. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So one of the ways you were asking about like how we can kind of come over that hurdle or conquer that hurdle. um, I actually worked with my direct leadership team when I was managing a a nursing unit, an individual nursing unit. And it seemed to take some of the edge off of me to actually put all of our, I'm going to call them responsibilities and you're going to correct me if it's more of an accountability, but all of the things, all of the work, Mm -hmm. let's put all of the work on the table that our team has to do. And so then I have a box and you have a box and everybody has a box. Yeah. And there's visibility to here's what I'm taking responsibility for making sure this is getting done. And so therefore I need you to take responsibility to make sure this piece gets done. Yeah. Um, it, it kind of took the edge off for me because it wasn't like I was asking you any longer to do things I wasn't willing to do. Now you can see that I actually have other things and therefore mm-hmm. I don't have time to do all of your things too. I've had a lot of success with that too. Not not because I'm amazing, but because the employee and I identified were running over each other a lot. And we would sit down and on a regular basis or when we were starting something new, it was what's yours, what's mine, what's ours. Yeah. And how are we going to negotiate that? One of the problems with delegation is if you don't have a large team, if it's it's me and this one person on this particular project, you don't want to overburden. And there are things that you're like, well, I know I can do this. Yes. Yes. So why don't I just do it? Right. And they can be free to do other things. But I, I know in this particular instance, the employee felt like, frankly, she felt like she wasn't respected, she wasn't valued, and 
it was never the intent, but it was the full impact. One of the things I started doing when I recognized that I was um, creating offense when I didn't intend to create offense um, was just calling out the feelings of, you know, I'm not doing, I'm not assuming responsibility for this because I don't think that you can. I'm assuming responsibility for this because I'm concerned with the workload that you currently have that you're not going to have time. Yeah. And if you think that this is something that you could fit into your current workload, I'd love for you to take this on, but I, I don't want to overwhelm you with that. Yeah. Um, and that's just one example of I'll trying to trying to call out um, yeah. and being more authentic in the conversation. How have employees responded to that? So I can think of one in particular that is consistently asking me to do more and will challenge me when I say I'm going to take something on. Yeah. Um, and so she feels really good in that space. I have another employee that always wants to please and will sign up for it even when she's overwhelmed. Yeah. And so I have to be cautious about when I use that mm-hmm. depending on um, how that person's going to react. There are, there are two, we can call them principles. We can call them truths of leadership that you've just hit on. One is that constant open communication, right? Like talking about how you're doing the work and how you're relating to each other is just as important as talking about the work itself. You know, the don't want to offend you. I want to make certain you've got enough or that you're not overloaded. It's that's just communication. But then there's also the how well do you know your people? You know, oh, Jane um, has trouble saying no. She's going to say yes. 99 times out of 100, even though she can only manage 75 of those. Mm -hmm. So are you knowledgeable enough and are you aware enough as her leader to be able to say, this is the 76th time that you've said yes. Where are we? Yes. Yeah. I think those are those kind of two, again, I think principles is probably the right way to talk about them that has to just be alongside all the other stuff, Mm -hmm. whether it's coaching or delegating, fill in the blank. Am I communicating clearly? And do I understand my people's strengths and needs sufficiently? Yes. I was thinking about, um, as we were reading through the coaching article and, um, coming from a place of encouragement. Okay. So when I'm thinking about um, modifying your conversations and your leadership style based on the needs of the people, based on the needs of those that you're communicating with, that one of those common themes is when you come to the table assuming that they want to do their best, that you encourage them and coach them up. Yeah. Um, And... The reason that this was coming to mind for me is because the person that signs up for a hundred things, a lot of times they're not going to always be able to follow through with the mutually set goals that you guys established. Mm -hmm. So they're signing up for too much. They're not able to follow through on everything that they're signing up for and toggling between the performance management conversation and the coaching conversation is approaching that conversation in an encouraging way that you don't snuff out their light. 
Yes. That you fuel the fire in a way that helps them to be more productive without snuffing out their light. That bridges very easily to me to thinking about and talking about strength-based leadership. Mm-hmm. That I'm, one, I'm assuming good intent, right? Yes, yes. Um, you know, you're not not performing because you want to make my life difficult. It's because you have you know, a servant's heart, for example, and you want to say yes to everything. And, oh, oops, we let it go too far, and now you're struggling. Well, what are the strengths you have that we can leverage to get you up out of that hole? Thing. You're somebody that, since we started working closely together, I look to as a model for that encouragement. It seems like it is your default setting to want people to feel really good about how they're doing their work. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's even to the point where I'm kind of like, how is she still, how is she still doing that? Haven't we messed up enough? <laughs> How, what, I, I guess, where does that come from for you? Oh gosh, that's a good question. Yeah. Um, one of the things that I actually wrote down before I came over here today was my transition from cheerleader to coach. Okay. Um, because very early on in my leadership career, I was I, like, I saw myself as a cheerleader. Like I am the encourager. Um, I'm here to, um, encourage you to do the job that you're doing because you're doing an awesome job, but also then, of course, remove those barriers that come up to, to impede you from doing your job. But somewhere along the line, it was really reflecting on, you know, encouragement isn't enough. Mm-hmm. And I can remember in nursing school, we had a professor um, that would regularly say, nice nurses kill people. Oh. And so just being nice isn't enough. No, it's not. And you have to be knowledgeable and skilled and know to when engage when to engage at the right times. And so reflecting on my leadership as a cheerleader, well yeah, but I can't just let the wayward players mm-hmm. be wayward. <laughs> right? <laughs> right? Um so I think I I think some of it is innate. Um it's easier for me to wake up in the morning and look at the things that I'm grateful for and be happy than it is for other people. Yeah. Like some of it is, some of that is just part of my DNA. Which is fabulous. Um, but then how do you, how do you not just stay there mm-hmm. and, and being a cheerleader and being optimistic and positive, that's not enough. Yeah. Um, and transitioning from cheerleader to coach. Mm-hmm. Um, but doing so in a way that you still approach those conversations in a positive way. Um, like I said, that continues to fuel the light in other people. Yeah. One of the, one of the things that I've been on the soapbox a lot about over the years is the idea that compassionate leadership doesn't have to be, it it doesn't always have to be quote unquote nice. Yes. That directness and difficult feedback is a form of compassion. Mm Mm-hmm. Now, how you deliver it is that difference between compassion and cruelty. But leaders, you know, I think this is kind of the nice nurses kill patients. Leaders who are trying to be nice don't always get results because they don't have the compassion to tell their people 
you know, you're not doing this right. It's, I think you've heard me talk about the, you know, it's the having your skirt stuck in your pantyhose. Yes. It's not okay to let somebody walk around and be exposed. Yes. And that leaders need to, they kind of need to claim that in everything they do. And that's how, frankly, it's, it's one of the ways that we show love to the people that work for us, which another soapbox I have (laughs) is that we don't talk about that enough that I think really great leadership comes from a place of love. Yes. And it's not inappropriate. It's not romantic love, but it's this, I want the best for you. Like you were talking about, and I appreciate that you're bringing your best. You know, when I think about my transition from cheerleader to coach, we were working together even then. Yeah. Many, many years ago. Yeah. And I remember you talking about compassionate conversations and that um, one of the things that I focused in on, and I'm sure you, you said this to me, if the roles were reversed, Mm -hmm. if I was the one with my skirt stuck in my pantyhose or I had toilet paper on my shoe, I would want you to tell me. Yeah. I would want you to tell me. And so it helped me to frame like when I'm looking at what needs to be addressed versus what doesn't, what happens in the absence of that coaching? If I don't say something and no one says something, then how detrimental is it to the person in that position? And what you're talking about here is that person's performance being a reflection of your leadership. Yes. And it doesn't mean, oh, I'm responsible for everything they do, but if they're not performing, it tells the world that I'm not addressing, I'm not serving mm-hmm. my people with the hard messages. Yes. Yeah. So it is true. The way your people perform is a reflection of you, but it doesn't mean like every, you know, dotted I or cross T. Yes. It's am I leading? Okay, I have a funny story. Oh, please. Those are my favorite. About this transition from cheerleader to coach. Yeah. And I knew that I had received feedback, um, whether it was from uh, the people that I worked beside every day or the people that I was having conversations with every day. But the feedback that I got was, um, You know, actually, it started out, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to back up the story a little bit more because it started out as, gosh, Angela, you can really tell anyone anything and they walk away smiling from you. So you're having difficult conversations or delivering difficult messages and the people that you're talking to don't even know what just happened um, because they're walking away smiling. And then it morphed into, um, you know, really like sugarcoating the message not being clear, not being direct. Yeah. And so uh, in one of my classes, in one of my leadership development classes, we got this tool um, that I think at the time was called organizing your message. Yeah, yeah. And so I was committed at that moment to my growth and development when I was communicating with others and I was delivering a hard message that I was going to be more clear and more succinct and I was going to be cautious not to sugarcoat it. And like I've overcorrected before, (laughs) I got really serious about organizing my message. (laughs) And and I I took it way to the extreme. (laughs) 
So no longer was this going to be a dialogue with someone, um, but this was going to be a sermon, a dissertation, a, <laughs> a monologue. <laughs> I had my prepared notes. Your copy, I would like you to reference page 17. <laughs> that is what it became. And so I got so focused on being clear and direct that like compassion went out the window. Yeah. And so then I was having these conversations with folks that um, they did. They walked away feeling like I had beat them up. Mm -hmm. And I didn't leave them with help, a lifeline for yeah. a clear path forward. Yeah. Well, and this is not this is not just Angela, by the way. This is in those cases where people are like, oh, I'm going to be different. It's not like you warned anyone, right? Right. So it was. Right. I used to leave Angela feeling like warm and fuzzy and uh -huh. loved. And now I'm leaving like cold and prickly and like I'm a problem. Yes. What happened? Yes. Yes. <laughs> what sure what helped you change that? Oh gosh, what helped me change that? You know what? I'm I started to say it was the way that I knew that those people were reacting. Okay. But that's actually not it at all. Oh. What helped me change was I didn't like the way I felt after I delivered that message. Oh. And I can recall telling people like I don't like who I'm becoming this isn't me this isn't this isn't the kind of leader I want to be I don't I don't like leaving people feeling this way and then the recognition that you know sometimes when we try to grow and develop that we overcorrect and I had to kind of okay so so the way I was doing it wasn't working the way mm -hmm. I'm doing it today isn't working so let's pull back a little bit and find a different place kind of in the middle. Yeah. There has to be an answer somewhere yeah. in there. Yeah. I've, I've missed it on this end. Yeah. Definitely missed it on this other end. Is there a happy medium? Well, and I think it's so important for us to have colleagues that we trust mm -hmm. to coach us through that development ourselves. Yeah. Because I'm telling you, I, I responded that way because I didn't like the way that I was feeling, but I didn't know what to do with my feelings. It yeah. wasn't like I intuitively knew, oh, this is not the right way. Yeah. I just knew I didn't like it. And so being able to come to you, Kate, um, or other colleagues who I've trusted to help me through that growth process over the years. Yeah. Um, I'm definitely an external processor. So I want to tell you what happened and then I want you to react. And you have, you bring this insight that I can't get to by myself. You bring a new perspective that I don't see by mm -hmm. myself. Um, and so having those colleague relationships are key, not only to my development as a leader and how I lead others, um, but our growth over time. You know, at the beginning of our time together, we were talking about delegation. Yes. And growing into delegation. And I remember clearly a conversation between you and I that I think you remember as well, um, where I was... I'm going to say newer um, to a promotional role. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that you said in that moment is um, you're at, you're in a different position, you're in a different role and you're not going to be able to continue to do the work the way you were doing the work in your previous role. Yeah. And having someone come alongside and kind of pick you up out of your current situation and help you to see it differently. Yeah. 
um, was really helpful and really something that stuck with me. Oh, well, it's still with me today. So I'm not going <laughs> to say it stuck with me a long time. It stuck with me for years. Um, because what got you here isn't going to get you there. And mm-hmm. how are you going to change the way you work so that your team can be the most effective team? Yeah. Well, this is, you know, circle back to one of the other things that we were talking about initially around the, like, oh, people are going to figure out I'm not, I'm not really that great. Yeah. It's, well, you were great enough to get here. You have to figure out how to be great again. Yes. And if you're an A student who (laughs) is going to, you know, I'm going to get it right the first time out, it's really easy to forget that, that, no, the first time you do something, you're probably not going to be great at it. You know, I wonder how knowing what we know, being through those transitions and mm-hmm. feeling that um, discomfort with ambiguity, how we help others to be more prepared for those moments. Because I remember being in that moment. You're right. I was great at my at the job I was doing, I want to be great at this job and almost this, like I have to keep it all covered up so that mm-hmm. people think that I am great and they don't find me out. Um, really just to be more accepting of no one expects you to have it all figured out right now. Yeah. And allowing them that space and calling out that space for them to learn and grow. Yeah. I think like a lot of things in life, you can be told this is what it's going to be like, mm-hmm. you know, Hey, you're going to feel like I'm going to be found out. You're going to struggle. I could have that conversation with you a month before you change jobs. I'd be like, yeah, yeah, whatever. I got it. I'm I fine. It. I'm fine. It's not until you're in the moment that you can experience that. And I think what people like us who have, you know, been there, done that, what we can do is not not show up beforehand yeah and say stuff that people aren't going to hear yeah it's come alongside mm-hmm. in those you know those first couple of weeks and be like hey if you're feeling like you're struggling right now it's okay yes yes um what you were doing before may not be working now and that's okay and it's one thing to come alongside as a colleague when we as leaders promote people into roles, we have to talk about that constantly. Yeah. Cause it, this is that cheerleader to coach, isn't it? Well, I really just, I love that distinction that you just made. Um, and that is we can't prepare people for everything. Yeah. Right. Yeah. We can't, we, we want to think we can try and, and maybe to some extent, like as humans, we expect people to prepare us for everything. Oh, yeah. But instead, knowing when it's okay to not prepare someone, um, but then be there. Really mm-hmm. just show up. Show up and, and offer yeah. support and help them through what you know is happening. Yeah, I agree. Whether you're leading from a title and a place of responsibility or authority mm-hmm. or you're trying to lead from your seat, if you will, is really about, have I shown up? Yeah. The, this is, it's a sloppy, um, very sloppy analogy that I make. 
And I do it a little hesitantly because I don't want it to be seen as disrespectful, but it's, I think, such an amazing model of how to come alongside people. And it's a wonderful mental model too. That practice um, in Judaism of sitting Shiva. Yes. That you show up. You show up. That's all you're there for is to sit down with people. And I think if we did more of that as a try, as opposed to trying to cheer or rescue or take it on ourselves, mm-hmm. we'd all be a lot better because sometimes we just need somebody who's going to show up. And that takes me back to that 100% responsibility. Yeah. Another leadership theory that we talked about is that drama triangle. Yes. And the hero and the villain and the victim. Yeah. So I've, I've heard a little bit about that. Can okay. you describe it a little bit more? One, to make certain I'm not off base and for anybody listening. Absolutely. Um, that also comes from the Conscious Leadership Group. We have this drama triangle that we slip into unhealthy behaviors and habits. And so we play one of three roles. It's not that I'm always the same. Um, I could be different based on the scenario that I'm in. And so it's easy for me to slip into a hero mode. Yes. Meaning that I'm going to come and I'm going to fix it for you. Yeah. And when you talk about that 100% responsibility, I'm not taking more responsibility than what belongs to me. So I'm not going to come in and fix it for you, but I'm going to come and I'm going to be present with you. Yeah. And when I'm not the hero, sometimes I behave like a villain and I want to talk about all the reasons why we shouldn't do this or we shouldn't do that or somebody's out to get us. And I'm giving my responsibility away when I'm a villain. Mm Mm-hmm. And I'm, as, I'm pushing it off on someone else. Yeah. Or it's, we're not going to pr- like pay no attention to what's happening with my level of responsibility. <laughs> this is all about you. All about you. <laughs> all about you. Yeah. Okay. So then I'm, I'm guessing the third point of the triangle is that victim. It is the victim. Okay. And you know, the victim is stuck in the corner and everything is out of their control and they can do nothing to help the situation. And yeah. Everything's happening to me. Yes. Poor me. Yes. Woe is me. That's the fun role. Yeah. It doesn't take as much effort as being a hero and you don't have to feel like you're a bad person. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Love the victim role. <laughs> so there's the um, there's the healthy side of yeah. the drama triangle. Okay. In addition to the unhealthy one. Yeah. Um, and that is that each of those roles, the hero, the victim, and the villain can become a healthy version of themselves in this triangle. What does that look like? So for the villain, the villain can become a challenger. Oh. So instead of assuming blame and assigning blame to everyone, um, the villain's role is really helpful for identifying, you know, where, where something might not work well. Okay. Or why we're going to solve the problem the way that we are suggesting to solve the problem. Why, you know, maybe we've always done it this way. Why Mm -hmm. are we continuing to do it this way? So the villain really fills a challenger role. Okay. The coach, uh, I'm sorry, the, the uh, hero the hero moves into a coach role. Okay. The third piece of transitioning the drama triangle from an unhealthy to a healthy one is that the victim becomes the creator. Okay. And so the victim doesn't get stuck in the, I can't do anything about this space but actually moves into a space of creativity yeah. of how can I contribute to the, to the situation in a yeah. positive way. That's I, I love that it's 
the that healthy side, you know, moving from the shadow to the light there in the the bad, you know, the drama triangle part. Nobody's working for a common good, right? right? Like even the hero, even though it may be like, oh, I'm helping you, it's I'm getting glory out of it. Yes. Or at least a good feeling. Yes. Or the ability to say, I told you so, which is, you know, the most satisfying feeling in the whole wide world. But on the healthy side, that creator is directly supported by somebody who challenges them to do their best and someone who's coaching them to enable them to do their best. Yes. And that's just, that's exciting. Well, I like how you focused in on the interplay on mm-hmm. the healthy side. Um, but it's also interesting, the interplay on the unhealthy side. Yeah. In that, you know, hero sounds like a good role, right? We right? love superheroes. And yeah. so we want to be a hero. But the hero, actually, the role of the hero is dependent that there are villains and victims in the room. Mm-hmm. And so I have to find someone to to be a villain or I villainize someone else so that I can be the hero. Yeah. So that interplay on the on the unhealthy side, as well as the really positive outcomes that we can get from the interplay on the healthy side of that triangle. We've been talking kind of um, very binary mm-hmm. about we have leaders as coaches that they just do that versus something else. Yes. But the reality is you're coaching, you're cheerleading. Yeah. You know, you're managing performance. Yeah. Leaders don't actually have the luxury of wearing one hat at a time. Mm-hmm. You don't get to coach, stop, you know, change hats and come back and manage performance or cheerlead or delegate. Coaching, as well as some of those other functions, has to be present at the same time. So I think the, the question is, how can leaders effectively coach while also delegating, coach while also cheerleading. How do we naturally weave it into all of the things that we're doing? Yeah. I mean, sometimes we talk about, you know, quote unquote, coachable moments, coachable moments. I think one could argue that there are some moments where there's more coaching available, but at least in theory, every interaction a leader has is an opportunity for coaching, Mm -hmm. even if it's through role modeling. So how does that become an integrated part of leadership. Well, I think that if I think back to my early leadership days when this wasn't something that came naturally to me, mm-hmm. when I was more cheerleading than taking opportunities to coach. Yeah. Um, when you start to see that the team is never going to be the best until you start to fill that role for them, um, it starts small. It starts with the coachable moments. Okay. When you become more proficient at having the coaching conversations and you, okay, so let me, let me do this. So anytime we're learning something new, we know that our um, productivity goes down. Yes. We know that it takes more energy and more effort to engage in that activity in the beginning than it will many years later. Yes. And so I think as someone transitions into that leader role, Kate, you talked about strength finders. Hone in on what those expert strengths are for that individual and then recognize that coaching has to play a role throughout that individual's leadership. 
So it's going to start with the small coachable moments. Yeah. It's going to start with being intentional. And then once we become good at it and it takes less effort and it takes less time, then I no longer say I don't have time to address that or okay. I don't have time to have this conversation right now because the other work that's getting in my way, I don't have time for that. It just becomes part of the conversations that we're having as we're having those conversations. Yes. And this is a callback to something that we were talking about earlier, that it's going to be awkward. You have to give yourself grace because there will be times where you don't get it quite right. Mm -hmm. And that you're, you're working toward a point where it becomes an unconscious competence. Mm -hmm. Unconscious is a word I can't say out loud, by the way, that that's what you're striving for. But before you get to that point where it comes naturally, there's going to be a lot of unnatural. We haven't touched on this yet, but the amount of vulnerability and humility that leaders need to bring to those moments. Yes. Be able to say, yeah, that was awkward. I didn't do that as well as I wanted. You, know, you talked about those moments where you think you're, you know, causing offense. Yeah. You know, the, the other thing I'm thinking, Kate, is we talked about if I was in that person's shoes, is this something that I would want to address? If yeah. I would want someone to tell me and knowing your environment, the like having the insight to know when to address it and when to wait to address it. Mm. Okay. Say a little more about that, please. So when we talk about leaders wear many hats and coaching is one of the hats that they wear, it's kind of this overarching hat that fits everything that they're doing all at once. But we also have to be very intentional about the environment in which we have those coaching conversations. And when you talk about doing so in a compassionate way, it's always in the space that if I was the one receiving the coaching, this is the kind of conversation that I'd want to have. Yeah. This is the place that I'd want to have it. Yeah. It's so before I say the next thing, to be clear, Employees are not children. And the mental model I have is I'm not going to wait to correct a child that's running into traffic, mm -hmm. but I will wait for something that's less severe or in that case, life threatening. Yeah. Where, you know, if it's, if you are going to hurt yourself or others, that feedback has to be immediate and clear. Yes. Yeah sometimes even to the point of harshness. Yes. Um, but if it's, you know, if Timmy's not running into traffic, I don't need to holler at him to stop and come back. Yes. And that's the analog to that is if the employee's not, you know, causing severe risk or breaking the law or the nurse isn't about, you know, to give the wrong medication and cause death, it can probably wait. Yeah. Yeah. That's a perfect picture, Kate. Oh, a perfect you. picture. Thank you. Kate, one of the things that I love about our interactions is the, in, the thoughtfulness, the intelligence that you bring to these coaching conversations. You're always bringing insight and wisdom into how I can do better and how I can be better. You share it in a way where I know that you're coming alongside me to help me, to encourage me, 
Um, and I'm just curious, why don't you talk a little bit about, um, about your background okay. in organizational effectiveness and leadership development? And so I'm going to answer that, um, not so much talking about my background, but I want to pick out a term that you used there that come alongside, mm-hmm. um, that just, that made my heart glow for a moment because it's, it's exactly how I think about my work. Yeah. Um, so one of the things that I believe is that some people get to have some insight into what they were made to do. Mm-hmm. Um, for some people that's awesome. For some people it's a real challenge. Uh, not everybody gets that, which is okay. You know, you can still, you can make a life, you can have a noble life, even if you don't feel a calling. A number of years ago, um, during a really difficult work transition, I, I was working very closely with an executive and I realized one evening, you know, we were in her office struggling with some of the tasks we had to do and trying to come up with the right plan and the right timeline. And it was this moment of, oh, this is what I'm made to do. I'm made to be here helping people through these things. It just, even though it was, a, it was frankly a miserable time, um, you know, long hours, few breaks, you know, weeks without, you know, any days off, difficult discussions, angry employees, I mean, you name it, it had those challenges. In that moment, I had such a piece about the work that I was doing that I knew this is what I'm here for in that moment in time and in like the big picture. And I started thinking about, well, what is it that I'm doing right now? You know, it's it's not like I'm counseling. I'm not exactly coaching. I'm I'm here and I'm working and I'm contributing, but I'm present with this leader during a challenging time. So I kind of started, you know, casting around for what's the, what's the story? Like what's my, my leadership story, my professional story, my vocational story. And like you, I grew up going to a Christian church, right? So a lot of my, a lot of the stories that are just kind of ingrained in me are Bible stories. And what I remembered is there's a story um, from the old Testament where the Israelites during their time of wandering in the desert, they went into battle and God told Moses, as long as you keep your arms raised over the battlefield, you're going to win. And you know, Moses was like, great, I can do that. And he got up there you know, on the hillside, raised his hands and the Israelites were winning. And Moses very naturally, because holding your arms up for a really long time is a challenge it's hard to do he you know his energy flagged he got weak he got tired and his arms fell and the tide of battle turned but his brother Aaron who's a priest and another priest came alongside and they held up Moses's arms and the Israelites won and what I realized is I'm not Moses I get to be Aaron I get to be the person that comes alongside so that I can support people being successful. I've been very fortunate that 
since that time that I kind of recognized, oh, this is what my skills align for. This is what I'm passionate about, that I've had a lot of professional opportunities to do that. Um, in the last, I would say the last year to six months that I was at the company where we worked, things were changing in a way I didn't get to do that as much, um, which is just the nature of work, right? You work in a large company that's undergoing change that's going to happen. Um, but I knew that, it, like, I knew I was kind of dissatisfied. So even though I didn't want my job to be eliminated, um, I kind of knew it was the big picture right thing. And in the last, you know, six months, as I've been thinking about what do I do next, I'm trying to take this opportunity to make something, you know, make a job for myself where I get to almost exclusively come alongside people. You know, that, that's the goal right now. Um, and things like obviously the services that I want to provide uh, through the business, but then even things like, you know, blogs or other posts or podcasts, um, the intent is, is it coming alongside to help people? Um, so again, telling me that, that you experienced that, um, thank you. That's a, a real lift for me. Um, but it also makes me feel like maybe I'm doing the right thing. I think, one of the most beautiful things about what you shared, this beautiful picture. And, and you're right. Some, some people go through life not really sure, like sure about where that fit is or what their calling is. But when you identify what it is, the way that we're designed and the way that humanity works is that now it's not only really great for you that you get to do what you love and what you're passionate about and what you're highly skilled at, but actually by you doing what you love and what you're highly skilled at, the rest of us get that benefit that you are right where you're supposed to be. Because Kate, we benefit from that um, coaching relationship. We benefit um, from, from you being Aaron and from holding others' hands up. That the way that we're designed and the way that humanity works is that we both win and we yeah. both get the best of Kate. Thank you. Yeah, that feels pretty awesome. Yeah, it really does. And I, I think to the way, the way people are made to be, um, once we figure out what we're here for, we don't want to wait. Yeah. Yeah. A little bit of impatience there, yes. but also, yeah. um, also just that excitement and that energy mm. of Eureka. I know now. Yeah. I've got it. Let me go do it. We should just have, you know, couch time in front of microphones and <laughs> we can do that. I would love it. I would love it if you would come be in the comfy chairs with me all the time. <laughs> yeah, I think that would be magnificent. Kate, this was really enjoyable. Thank you for oh, good. spending time with me today. Oh my goodness. Mm -hmm. You're welcome, but it's really the other way around. <laughs> Thank you.